Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, and their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, this is Chris with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Mark Bonchek with Shift Thinking. Hey, Mark, how's it going? I'm great, Chris. Uh, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking, and welcome to the show. Mark, I'd like to start out with um, a little background on you. Tell us how you got to shift thinking. Well, I started, uh, it's now um, a little over 20 years ago. I was in graduate school, uh, PhD, looking for my uh, thesis topic and stumbled on the internet kind of the early days. This would have been around 1993, back when we were still doing dial-up. And uh I got really fascinated with um, with the internet. The web had just come out and was able to write my doctoral dissertation about the internet and how it was used actually for political activity, but really looking more broadly at what effect it was going to have on society and organizations. And, you know, keep in mind that there was no Google or Facebook yet. It was kind of Yahoo and Alta Vista was what was around at the time. But even in the early days, you could see that the internet was going to be transformative and that it really was about network ways of working and thinking. And ever since then, that's what I've been at work on is trying to understand what effect digital technology and network-based ways of um, communicating and connecting and organizing would have and how to help leaders and organizations make the shift into that new way of thinking. Oh, very good. And so this leads to naturally shift thinking. So tell us more about how shift thinking works. Well, the first premise um, on it is that 
um, normally we focus on what to do differently. I mean, if you think about a meeting that you're in, some issue comes up, some problem comes up, and what everyone goes straight to is, well, what are we going to do about it? And what I've seen is, is that that works when you're kind of in an age when things are changing incrementally or linearly, but now we're in a time of exponential or disruptive change. And so the, the, I like to say the mental models that we have don't really apply the same way anymore. And as a result, instead of going straight into what should we do, you actually have to stop and say, are we thinking about this the right way? So the premise of shift thinking is to not only identify where our mental models are a bit obsolete, and I can give you some examples of those, but not only where our mental models are obsolete, but what are the new ones that we have to go to? And how do we shift our thinking into the right mental model that gives us the the answer to the the challenge or the opportunity. Yeah, so the mental models that are obsolete, let's get into that. So if you were looking at, for example, and they're all over the place, that's part of the challenges is it has to do with how we think about strategy and growth. It has to do with how we think about marketing and engagement. It's how we think about organizations and culture and governance. In all of those areas, we have mental models that were based on um, kind of an industrial model, a mechanical model, and a way of communicating that was one to many. Um, so let's just take, um, you know, marketing, for example. I, having seen the social media revolution for many years, and I think in some ways still uh, to this day, people still have a mental model of social media as a channel. You know, they think of it like, well, I'm going to um, put this advertisement um, alongside this TV show, or I'm going to um, write some content that I'm going to publish on um uh, through this digital channel, and they kind of think about social media just as another channel to reach an audience. But it's not really a channel. You know, it's not an audience. It's a community. And if you look at the companies that are successful in social media, it's because they have a mental model of their content not as something to be consumed by the audience, but rather as a currency that can be shared and exchanged by the community. And, and that's the most successful. I looked, for example, at Sephora, the makeup company, as being um, a real role model in this. Is They understand that it's not what they say to their customer, but what they're enabling their customers to, to say in exchange with each other. So that's a different model. It's not um, social as a channel, but social as a context. And it's not an individual as a consumer in an audience, but rather a co-creator in a community. Yeah, it seems like the the more you get people directly involved, the you know company or anything else, the more change or presence that idea has, and the more of a lasting effect it's going to have. Versus you know the the, the antiquated models, um, they they tend to disappear very quickly. Um, you know, that's kind of a flash in the pan. And um, yeah, so for for long term thinking, that's a great example. What other um, new type of thinking? is out there in regards to marketing? Well, I think there's a general view of um, going beyond the transaction. And if you look at companies uh, like Amazon and Google and Apple, a lot of the companies that are really being the most successful and celebrated today, they've made this shift where instead of just focusing on selling the product, the one-off transaction, they're creating um, a whole, what I call a brand orbit, which is Orbit stands for an ongoing relationship beyond the individual transaction. So whether it's an Amazon Prime program where, yes, you're buying things over here and you're listening to music or watching videos or using Alexa 
or, or even, you know, if you're a business using their cloud platform, there's a whole orbit of interactions, only some of which you're actually paying for. So you're in, what I like to say is instead of using the relationship to drive the transaction, which is the typical retailer, you're actually embedding the transaction inside the relationship. I take Apple, for example, you know, they don't charge you for the genius bar. They're, they're looking at this whole, or they don't charge you to use um, iTunes. They're going to make their money somewhere else. So there's a broader view of what is that overall relationship that you're having with the customer? How are you fulfilling on a shared purpose with them? And how do you design a set of interactions and touch points, all of which have some kind of value, some of which they kind of pay for with money, but some of which they pay for with time and commitment and, uh, and in some sense, um, data. And that's one of the issues we're facing right now is that there's an asymmetry in that data provision. But, but that's a whole other topic. But the general answer is moving from using relationship to drive transaction to embedding the transaction inside the relationship. So that's on the, the marketing um, example of these mental models. What are some other mental models that are obsolete and maybe some new ways that uh, people are approaching those? So a lot of um, them are, have to do with uh, either strategy and growth or organization and culture. So in strategy and growth, um, I call these multipliers because we're you're trying to create these exponential effects. And one of the big ones is shifting from um, a business model that is based on products and what you could call pipes or the idea of a supply chain where you're taking an input, you're turning it into a product or service, and, and there's an output on the other end, so suppliers and customers. And the real shift in thinking here is to start thinking about it as a business platform, not just a technology platform of something in the cloud, but where you don't have suppliers and customers as two separate um, groups. Kind of people can be either a supplier or a customer, and you are a platform that's connecting supply and demand. So the classic examples of this um, right now that everyone knows is Uber and Airbnb. You don't own, own the cars and employ the drivers. You're just connecting people with cars, drivers, with people who want rides, passengers. Airbnb the same way. They're connecting supply and demand for rooms instead of building hotels and running them in order to provide rooms to guests. And that actually can be applied in a lot of different areas where you start thinking about yourself as a platform that's connecting um, two sides of the market together. And you're more of the orchestrator creating that network effect. So that's, that's really a whole shift in thinking about business model design that's um, I think starting to have a quite disruptive effect in a lot of industries. Now, what do you think? I mean, a lot of people in their, you know, their, their new pitches or their new ideas will say, you know, this is the Uber of, you know, this particular area, or this is the, you know, Airbnb of this particular area. It's, it's easy to use as a comparison. What do you think are some of the, the uh, future breakthroughs in, in those kind of concepts? Like, What's, what's the next Uber? What, what area are we, are we looking at, do you think? Well, I think there's a lot of um, misconception about what Uber is in some sense. So oftentimes when I see people saying, like, well, we're going to be the Uber of this, it, they basically think that it's about delivery. Well, we're going we're gonna to deliver this to people, or we're going to have a mobile app that does that. And that's not actually what Uber is really about. The key to Uber is that they are unconstrained in their supply, right? They can have kind of an unlimited number of drivers, whereas 
if you are a product maker or a service provider, you are typically constrained on your supply. You have to hire more people. You have to produce more widgets. You have to access more um, uh, more inputs or resources. So that's the first thing is, is you've really got to make sure that you're truly a platform and that you are connecting supply and demand rather than being the supply to the demand. And I think we're going to start to see this more and more of um, people being able to create supply and tap into that. And and this is where I think cryptocurrency starts to get really interesting is, is that historically, we've only been able to compensate people financially. But as we start to create token economies, and this is where um, a lot, some of my most recent work is um, around branded currency and microeconomies, when you can start to compensate people for their contributions to a community in ways that are not just financial, you start to unleash a lot of supply. So for example, I think we could easily easily see an entirely new model of social network. Because right now you have with Facebook, people are supplying content for free. And there's only so far you can go. And we're seeing the problems that happen when you are using people's free labor. But if there were ways of actually rewarding and compensating people for the content they're creating on the platform, it actually becomes a more robust and sustainable platform than it is before. Right now, it's just taking advertising and delivering it to audiences based on almost tricking people into supplying their labor for free. That's a, definitely a, an interesting standpoint. I, I know that you know my, my particular involvement in, in those outlets is kind of um, diminished back a little bit, you know, given a lot of headlines, of course, but um, as well as really supplying that stuff that, that other people can use with, without me being directly compensated. You know, I'm, I'm definitely not super involved in a, a business element of it, but that, that's a big concern. And so it's, it's interesting to see that, that shift or maybe the, that pivot in thinking in the direction that you just spoke about. Well, I'll give you an example. There's a really interesting startup. Um, actually, some physicians are starting it called BitMed um, that is looking to be able to provide free healthcare to people. How are they going to do that? Well, they're going to create a, a um, transparent and um, fair exchange with people for their data. So, you know, as it turns out, if you have a cold, that's not really worth very much to people, but it's also not that expensive to treat. If you have, you know, a rare disease, it's expensive to treat, but it's also the the information and data about that disease, what you do and don't do and what works and what doesn't work is worth a lot of money to people who are researching it. So the idea is, is that in exchange for your data, anonymized and and um, secured, but in exchange for your data, you can get free healthcare. Wow. That's starting to become healthcare as a platform where in this case, BitMed is connecting people who are who want have care to offer and need data with people who have data and need care. That's a platform-based approach to healthcare. That's a unique concept. I, I like it a lot. Mark, I want to take a, a step back real quick. You mentioned um, the the branding idea, and I understand that you're giving a keynote at a uh, conference next week in Chicago. Correct? That's right. So the um, Flourish Conference on Branded Currency um, is going to be happening in Chicago, and it's really about a lot of what we've just been speaking about is, you know, it's been interesting where most of the ways in which brands have been relating to customers is in this kind of one-to-many transactional way that we talked about already. So all of those kind of incentive and, and reward models are 
very transactional, very financial. So you have coupons and loyalty programs with points and gift cards, very, very um, transactional. But what's happening now is not only because of the move to digital and mobile, but now, and this is what I'm going to be speaking on with the evolution towards cryptocurrencies and token economies, are a lot um, more robust and richer ways of creating those engagements and rewarding people for what they're doing. So it's not just kind of a, I like to say, a dumb point where a point is a point, but you can start to embed smart contracts of all sorts of things where I can create different kind of groups and different kinds of, of points. I can reward people for their contributions to a community or what they might be giving back if they give good feedback. So much, much richer forms of engagement. And so I think we're going to start to see a real explosion in the way that companies' loyalty programs and marketing efforts are going to start to merge together. And it's going to infuse new kinds of business models as opposed to just being kind of promotion and, um, and demand gen on the side for an existing product. It's going to be all fused together, like in the case of uh, BitMed that we just spoke about. Now, what other companies do you see kind of on the forefront of, of this idea? Well, I really like, you know, in terms of the token economies, I really like what Simple Token is doing. Um, so it's OST uh, is now the, the brand for the platform. You know, I go back to what Salesforce saw very early on, salesforce.com, in terms of the move of software to the cloud and also the need for tools that people would want to have of how they would manage their customer relationships. And that's where kind of Salesforce and the whole CRM in the cloud um, vision uh, was, whatever it was, 15 years ago. I, I think that Simple Token is really interesting because they've seen that same need and opportunity with what we've been talking about. And what they're building are tools that enable anyone to create their own currency without having to do an initial coin offering. So they've already done the initial coin offering, which enables the currency to get pegged back to fiat currency in some way. But you know, you could go right now. So, um, you know, uh, you could create your, your own, um, your own currency literally this afternoon. So you could have future tech podcast coin, um, that you might be able to use to reward people for tuning in or for liking or for commenting or for appearing on the podcast. And you can use that to incentivize activity in the community. And then depending on the, um, conditions you put on it, the smart contracts you built into it, some of those things could then be monetizable or convertible into other things that maybe your sponsors might offer. And if they had created currencies as well, you create a whole exchange network across these different currencies in these different brands and in these different ecosystems. So I'm, I'm really intrigued by what that's going to open up so that we can get out of the ICO issue for these kinds of engagement currencies and utility tokens. What do you, kind of going back to what we talked about in the beginning, some obsolete models, um, do you think that this this kind of uh, discussion or this idea will lead to making ICOs obsolete eventually? Or what, what are your thoughts on that? No, I think we're just going to see a split. I think that in the kind of Wild West, you know, you had a lot of... Um, you had a lot of utility tokens that were actually security tokens. I mean, people just wanted to do the fundraising and they kind of little bit of wink, wink, nod, wink, wink, nod, nod, that, you know, this is really about people buying the token in advance of using it. It, it was about speculation and fundraising. I think we're going to see a separation of that where you, you'll use it for, you'll use it for fundraising, 
or you'll raise the money separately and then you'll just issue the token. I think that'll be a positive development. Um, and so I think we will see initial coin offerings, but it's going to be more regulated and, and so forth. I think more of what we're going to see is um, an evolution of these new kinds of currencies more in these token economies. That's going to be the real flowering. And what's so interesting is, is that it actually has a historical precedent. So in the early days, you know, each bank issued their own banknote and companies used to issue their own notes also. So like in England, there was a, you know, you'd have Barclays notes, which were different than other banks notes. Um, and we had a whole flowering in the, in the U.S. as well, where companies issued their own currencies. So I think we're actually going to be going back to that. It's not a new development. It's just one that we're not familiar with because we've only known a central bank that has a monopoly on currency issuance. That's interesting to see the, the pendulum swing in that direction. And, and uh, it's a, a great way to think about it. I, I wonder when, you know, when we go in, in, into this direction and when we shift back forward many, many years from now. So uh, that's a, a very, very interesting comment. So what do you see kind of as some developments in, um, in branding and just marketing that are kind of happening throughout the industry in 2018, 2019 that are kind of game changers in thinking? Well, you know, I think that in some ways, um, the problem is the game changer this year. So this issue of data and privacy and reciprocity, I think because of the, the problems that Facebook is facing, um, what people are seeing was result of Cambridge Analytica, um, I think we have to look at the just the tragedy, um, you know, yesterday, just at YouTube of women walked into YouTube and began firing because they weren't showing her videos enough and paying her enough for it. You know, that's clearly um, symbolic of something that is um, a problem in the whole space of, of engagement and digital um, and digital marketing. And I think that how we grapple with that and find new, whether it's going to be regulation or whether it's going to be new business models, I think the kind of things we've been talking about, um, it's going to be coming to a head. And I don't know what the solution is yet, but I think that what we're going to be seeing is, is a lot of effort to try to, um, to try to grapple with that because brands everywhere are really wondering, how do I manage in this world where things are so fragmented, where I have to piece together all of these little efforts to engage with people, and they thought that they had it to some extent with the big, the big digital um, platforms. But even that now, I think, is going to be questioned. And so there's going to need to find a new kind of more authentic, purposeful, reciprocal, symmetric kind of relationship that companies are going to need to have with their customers. Do you think that, um, well, maybe let's go for your thoughts here. In the inception of company ideas and thoughts, there are a lot that start out in that authentic, purposeful way. And then they they grow into the behemoths that are so far removed of that. Do you think that the authentic, purposeful side is sustainable? And if so, in, in what ways are there, uh, do we make that last? And what maybe what are some examples of companies that have made that authentic, purposeful relationship last? I think it comes down to leadership of, of staying true to a, an initial intent. Um, and I think that there are a lot of focus right now on social impact and being purposeful. And I think it's wonderful to address UN development goals and 
things like that. I think the companies, though, have to find what is the meaning and purpose in the core of their business. I find it fascinating to look at companies where the, the founder has had to come back into the business. And two of them that really reflect this point about purpose are um, Howard Schultz at Starbucks and Charles Schwab. And both of those companies really started with a very purposeful intent. Charles Schwab was about democratizing investing and making it affordable. Um, Schultz was really about creating a third, people don't know this, but it was about creating a third place between home and work for conversation and connection and community. And the coffee was instrumental. And in both cases, when those, when those founders left the business, it just started to be run as a business. Um, Schultz talks about this in his, uh, his book Onward, and he says, you know, I, kind of basically, I left and everyone forgot what business we're in, and they started to think we were in the coffee business. We're not in the coffee business. We're in the third place business. And so then he came back into the business and re-anchored the company back onto its foundation of having that core purpose, which is intrinsic to what it does. Then it does all sorts of social impact things about education and so forth. That's great. But you have to find the, the core purpose of your business and why you believe it makes a difference in the world. Great thoughts. Mark, it's been really great talking to you today, especially about, you know, these, these ideas that are shifting to, to new models. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, probably the best place is on my website. So the Shift Thinking website is shift.to, shift.2. Um, and there you'll find uh, I'm a regular columnist on Harvard Business Review, and you'll see lots of uh, articles from there and um, other work that will kind of take some of these day, these ideas and elaborate on it. And they can also sign up for my newsletter. And I'm about to um, launch a whole new series of these kind of um, field guides and expeditions on different topics. So this would be a good time to sign up. Excellent. Mark, again, it's been great chatting with you today. And uh just kind of picking your brain on, on these ideas. And so I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much, Chris. I've enjoyed the conversation. Definitely. Mark Bonchek with Shift Thinking at, at shift.to. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Check Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000-plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. 
To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. 